You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Welcome back to Private Parts Unknown, a podcast about love and sexuality around the world. I'm Courtney Kosak, and today's episode is about the very grim news that Roe v. Wade has been overturned as of this past Friday. And obviously, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know my stance on abortion. I think this development is horrible and it's going to have terrible consequences. So today on the show, we're going to hold space for that grieving process. I'm going to share a little bit about my personal experience with abortion. Hopefully that helps some of you feel less alone. And I just want to be clear. I think any reason a person wants to get an abortion is a good reason. I am not interested in the morality play of the abortion debate. Bodily autonomy is a human right. And if you don't want to have a baby, you should not have to. And then I'm going to talk through some of the biggest takeaways I got from the Center for Reproductive Rights press conference. They held the press conference on Friday. It gave the lay of the land, and it was really kind of helpful for me to digest where we're at right now. So I'm going to play some clips from that, and that way you can hear straight from the horse's mouth the implications of this Roe v. Wade reversal, and importantly, what we can do moving forward. But first up, here is my reaction to Friday's news. Oh, oh my God, privates. I was just wrecked on Friday at the news of the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. I mean, devastating feels like an understatement. And I am in California, like relatively safe, quote unquote. Anyway, I knew we had to do an episode about this. I mean, I just, I woke up to the news and I just went into a state of shock. You know, I was scrolling through the headlines, historic trigger laws, an unprecedented rollback of rights. And honestly, at first I was numb. I had three podcast interviews scheduled for Friday. It was a busy day. And, you know, I'm very comfortable doing them. So like usually no sweat, even if it's a hectic day. But this was not a normal day. And so, you know, instead of showering before my first interview, I hopped on a Zoom. And I caught the beginning of this press conference that was held by the Center for Reproductive Rights. And we've mentioned that organization before in our previous abortion episodes. And you might follow them on social media at Repro Rights. But, you know, it was the craziest thing on that Zoom because even the people who had been litigating the case seemed shocked. Here's Julie Rickman. I can't emphasize enough what a cataclysmic change this will be, how much chaos we will see in the coming days and months. The word cataclysmic was uttered three times on this call. And another thing that stuck out to me during the press conference was Nancy Northup. She sounded exasperated at several points. I mean, this is just the most you know, horrific reversal of a right that we've seen in this country. The first taking away of a personal liberty. So whatever. My interviews went fine. But I mean, I just felt out of body and like easily distracted. And in between, I would scroll Twitter and I was just like taking in the endless stream of outrage comments. I posted a few of my own I posted, my abortion was the best decision I ever made, and I get to live the benefits of that decision every single day. I'm gutted and livid for all those that won't be possible for now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned. And then a little bit later, I tweeted, about to make being pro-abortion my whole personality. So that was my addition to the Twitter outrage. And the weirdest part was that kind of out of nowhere, I would cry. And I'm a sensitive person, but I don't typically cry during my workday. You know, I'm focused. But this was not a typical workday. And on Friday evening, 
I had to run an errand. I had to go to fucking Best Buy, buy something for my trip. And I had the radio on in the car. And I was seeking through the stations looking for a good song. And I was stopped dead in my search by the sound of two cis men gloating about the reversal of Roe on a conservative talk show. I don't know what show it was. I did some Googling and I have some hunches, but I can't confirm. (laughs) But they were like, this is just the beginning. And they went on to spitball and strategize about how they would pursue a federal abortion ban. But they were like, tonight, you know, we're going to do all that stuff. But tonight we celebrate. And it sent a shiver down my spine. It was hard for me to fathom, like, those are the voices of the pro-life movement I can't even understand why those guys are part of the conversation, really. I mean, I want guys to be part of the conversation, but they shouldn't be like, that shouldn't be who's making decisions about my body or about other people with uteruses' bodies. It's just crazy to me. And there was no mention or care about the women or the other pregnant people that they were making these decisions for. And their whole strategy was about. So it was infuriating. Like, these guys will never get pregnant. Why is this their issue? Ugh. And it was just like the whole day I felt raw. And the whole day took my body and my mind and my nervous system back to when I was 23. And I found out that I got pregnant. It was with my ex-boyfriend. He had another girlfriend at the time that he wasn't like upfront about. So we hooked up a few times and I was adamant about condoms except this one time. Anyway, I took plan B the next day, like right after that. And... I'd taken plan B before and it had worked, so I didn't worry too hard about it. But then a few weeks later, my period was kind of weird and whatever. It it occurred to me I might be pregnant and I was on my way to a cleaning gig. So I was cleaning houses at the time. So I called my boss to cancel and I left this like vague, frantic voicemail and I sat in a clusterfuck of traffic and I had to drive back in rush hour to Planned Parenthood to make it there before they closed. It was like early rush hour. Anyway, I was envious of these other people that, that had these like innocent commutes that like didn't have to worry about this. And I got to the Planned Parenthood and I pushed through the protesters screaming, don't kill your baby, choose life instead. And I think there was a guy from one of my grad school classes there. I can like still see his face. And it was the same kind of feeling as with those conservative talk guys where I was like, why are you here? <laughs> like, why are you here fighting me about this? Just, I like, I, I don't like this either. But like, we have these like archaic bodies, you know, we're animals. So sometimes we get pregnant and we don't mean to. And I got inside, I waited and I waited. The receptionist called my name, I peed in a cup, I waited and waited some more. And then finally they called my name again. And I went into a room the size of a broom closet. There were fluorescent lights pulsing down on me and the nurse's assistant said, you're pregnant. But it it didn't sound simple like that. Like her voice sounded garbled and the lights throbbed and I was like, oh. No. And I asked her if I could make a phone call and I went to the front entrance or it was just like me and the guard. And I called my ex-boyfriend. I tried to study my voice and I was like, hey, but that, you know, there's something really important I need to talk to you about and it's urgent. Hey, can you, you know, please call me back? And he didn't call me back. And Instead, I drove like 90 minutes in a snowstorm to try to find him at this casino where he was supposedly playing a poker tournament, but he wasn't there. I tried him again. I actually got pulled over by a cop and cried my way out of a ticket, and it was a very genuine cry. Anyway, this boyfriend still didn't call me back, and while I waited to hear from him, I like turned this decision over and over in my mind, and I like, I literally began to itch. I was like allergic to the idea of being tied to him for the rest of my life. This was a guy who had been abusive to me and 
previous iterations of our relationship. Like He wasn't good dad material. I would not wish him on any child. And frankly, I wasn't good mom material at the time. And so after a day or two, I just felt so firm in my decision that I was sure if I waited any longer, I was going to claw this out. You know, it, it felt parasitic. Pregnancy to me, like under these circumstances, it felt parasitic. I've seen a bunch of tweets and posts on social media by moms who are like, actually pregnancy, like caring to term, becoming a mom made me more pro-choice. So anyway, this ex, he never called me back. I had a medication abortion and I now consider it the best decision I ever made in my life. But I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell a single soul outside of that Planned Parenthood in St. Paul until two and a half years later because I felt so much shame and stigma. And I was raised to believe that good Catholic girls didn't get abortions. And I didn't really identify as a good Catholic girl, but it just felt bad. Like I did something that other people thought was bad, even though I was happy about it. And so it was a secret. And I honestly thought that I would take the secret to the grave, but I didn't like it being a secret, you know, it made me feel bad when it would come up in conversation and I wouldn't cop to it or I wouldn't defend it. And so on Friday, on this historic day that Roe v. Wade was overturned, all of those feelings of suppression and bodily infringement and dissonance with society and my family and my friends came rushing back to me. Those are intense feelings. And I think it was triggery for a lot of people who have been through this, even though, you know, in the turnaway study, like 95% of women who get abortions don't regret it. They're very happy they did it. And I'm in that camp because, I mean, privates, you know, since having that abortion, I moved to LA. I got to pursue my dreams. I still have more dreams to pursue, but I'm able to be a writer and a podcaster. I literally can do this for my work. And at this point in my life, I live in California and I I have enough money and access and agency that I'm going to be able to get an abortion if I need one. But my heart really aches for the 23-year-old me or the any aged anyone who just has to live in Mississippi or Texas or any of the states with trigger laws like Missouri, where I went to college. Here's Hillary Schneller. There are going to be many states across the South and Midwest in particular where people are going to have to travel, not one, but over two multiple state lines, hundreds of thousands of miles to access abortion care. Of course, trying to increase access to medication abortion may help some people. And you know, we are working with our partners to, to support those efforts, but it's not going to be sort of a complete and fail-safe solution for every single person who needs access to abortion in their own community. And, you know, I think there are also going to be ongoing concerns about the legal risk, not only for providers, but also for patients accessing medication abortion pills, which are incredibly safe from a health perspective. But again, we are in sort of a land of uncertainty where state officials may, you know, put put folks at legal risk. But again, it is very safe medically. It's the legal risk that I think will be an ongoing concern in a number of states. So a few years after I had had my abortion, I, I was able to tell my boyfriend at the time. And then I slowly started telling, you know, a couple other people in my life. And like a few years later, you know, I could like say it out loud if it came up in conversation with a group of people. And then, you know, now it's been like 15 years. <laughs> but a few years ago, I realized I wasn't speaking up about abortion publicly like I felt I should. And it was just a, an omission that felt disingenuous. So in 2019, shortly after Brett Kavanaugh was appointed to the Supreme Court, I wrote an essay for Hello Giggles to commemorate the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. You know, I talk about the Shout Your Abortion book and the movement and the essay ended, this is the right time to talk about my abortion. These words are a fine start. I just hope it's not too late. And after that, I started covering abortion regularly on the podcast and on social media and etc. 
But those words kind of haunted me on Friday because I realized I was too late. Last week, I read about an 18-year-old girl who wanted an abortion in Texas. And right as the ban went into effect, she couldn't get one. And now she has twins. And even though my situation isn't exactly like hers, I, I felt like a PTSD kind of feeling reading her story and just like feeling trapped in this life, you know, that you maybe didn't want or where there's like serious consequences to not just yourself, but like everyone, her partner, the parents in the family. And in the Turnaway study, which I'm going to have the director of that study and this amazing woman who's done a ton of abortion research on the podcast soon. But that's a huge takeaway. It affects everyone in the family unit siblings of the child who was unwanted. And that's not even talking about people that are, you know, going to have health complications and get hurt and die. And these stories are only going to get more common now that SCOTUS has overturned Roe completely. And I just wanted to do this episode because I want every pregnant person to have the options I did to get to make the best choice for them, to have a baby when and if they're ready, or to have an abortion without a fear of prosecution or persecution or enduring an obstacle course where you have to drive over 300 miles to get it done. I'm not ashamed anymore. I am not ashamed that I had an abortion. I think it is the best decision I've ever made, like I said. And, you know, I was taken aback by those pro-life guys on the radio on Friday, that they already had this like master plan for post-Row America, that they're going to have it be codified, that it's illegal and yada, yada. But then I started thinking, I was like, I have a plan too. I have a plan and I have a platform and I believe that abortion is healthcare and I believe that abortion is bodily autonomy. And I know from experience that abortion is freedom. And so I am going to fight like hell to make sure that these rights are restored. And I am going to keep shouting my abortion. And I'm going to shout it louder than ever before. And I hope you guys are in the chorus with me. So for today's episode, I wanted to share a little bit more from that press conference. I think it's really helpful to hear from directly from the people who had been litigating the case and hear from people in an organization that's at the forefront of this movement to hear from them, like, what is the impact short term, long term? What are next steps? So without further ado, let's get into the press conference. Hey, privates, whether you are with a new partner or you just want to stay on top of your sexual health, STI testing should be a part of your safe sex practice. And I got to say, it is such a pain in the ass to go through your doctor on this. You have to make an appointment and then they have to order the test for you. But now you can take control of your sexual health with quick and convenient STD testing that you can order online for yourself at stdcheck.com. STDcheck.com is the leader in reliable and affordable lab-based STI testing. Order online and go right to one of their certified labs. There is no doctor visit required, and you will get results within one to two days after testing. STDcheck.com offers confidential and convenient STI testing in labs across the U.S. They offer a wide variety of reliable tests, including a comprehensive 10-panel test and follow-up doctor consultations. With multiple online payment options and an easy and private online purchase option, stdcheck.com makes STI testing easy and protects your privacy. Get peace of mind with an STD check from stdcheck.com, where you can purchase a range of STI tests, get tested at a CLIA-certified lab, and be confident in your results. In my experience, STI testing is so important. Before my fiance and I went exclusive, we both got STI testing. 
It was actually something that I demanded before we stopped using condoms. It's just risky to be out there maybe getting diseases from other people that have long-term consequences and you don't want that. So right now, stdcheck.com is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners $10 off your order. Just go to ppupod.com, click STD check, and use code PRIVATE to get $10 off your next STI test. That is ppupod.com and use code PRIVATE to get tested. Please support the show by using the link in the episode description. Stay safe out there, privates. Hey, privates. Our sponsor, Fleshlight, can help you reach new heights with your self-pleasure. Fleshlight is the number one selling male sex toy in the world. And at Fleshlight, you can explore sex toys with expert guides and advice, especially if you're a beginner or you're looking to level up. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you know how much I love sex toys. I am a huge advocate of self-pleasure and I have a really good time with all of my vibrators and accessories. And I think you should feel free to do the same. It's a great way to discover exactly what you like and make sure you are satisfied, which helps you approach, you know, your IRL relationships with a little more chill, a little more ease, a little bit more knowing what you want. And I think that is good for everyone involved. So Listen, if you're a horn dog, there is no shame in your game. Get yourself a fleshlight. And with the Fleshlight Girls series, you can embrace your wildest porn star fantasies with a different porn actress every night. With a variety of models, sensations, and intensities, you can live out limitless fantasies. And you can automate your fantasies with the universal launch that fits most Fleshlight products. With its innovative touch control system, just set the controls, sit back, and enjoy. It puts the pleasure in your hands. Your pleasure is in your complete control, and as the ultimate male pleasure device on the market, it's as versatile as you are. It's anatomical, stamina building, vibrating, or made for couples, you name it. You define your luxury moment. And right now, Fleshlight is offering Private Parts Unknown listeners 10% off your order with our code PRIVATE. So just go to ppupod.com, that's the website, ppupod.com, and click Fleshlight, and use promo code PRIVATE to get 10% off your new delicious device. Again, that is ppupod.com, and enter code PRIVATE. And it really helps support the show. So by using the link in the episode description, we can all be horny together and you can keep this podcast going. So get yourself a flashlight and get yourself off. Thank you for joining this virtual press conference today. I'm Kelly Krause at the Center for Reproductive Rights. And we are holding this call to discuss the devastating decision today from the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. We have on the call today, uh, Nancy Northup, the president and CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights, Julie Rickleman, um, our senior litigation director who argued this case in front of the court. Uh, We also have Hillary Schneller, her co-counsel on the case. And we have Rob McDuff from Mississippi Center for Justice, who is our local counsel in this case as well. So first up was Nancy Northup, and she is the president and CEO of the Center for Reproductive Rights. Hello and welcome, and thank you for joining us. The Center for Reproductive Rights argued this case in the Supreme Court. We probably have about three dozen other abortion rights cases pending in the United States right now. Our mission is to ensure that reproductive rights are protected as fundamental human rights in law. And we have been active in the courts since our founding 30 years ago. This is obviously a devastating day, but we do want to address what is the impact on the law? What's the impact on people in the United States as they are going to lose access? What does the road ahead look like? And how is this so out of touch? in the global context. I'll say at the outset, I know that the president is going to be speaking momentarily, and so many of you may have your eyes on both. And I'll just say that speaks to the importance of the moment that we're about to hear from the president of the United States on the Supreme Court, having done something it's never done before, which is take away an individual personal liberty. It has never done that in its history, and it can't be 
underestimated about what that means. Today is a, uh, it's not hyperbole to suggest a very solemn moment. Today, the Supreme Court of the United States expressly took away a constitutional right from the American people that it had already recognized. They didn't limit it. They simply took it away. That's never been done to a right so important to so many Americans. But they did it. It's a sad day for the court and for the country. Fifty years ago, Roe v. Wade was decided and has been the law of the land since then. And the decision is also the biggest setback to women's rights, I would say, in United States history. For five decades, the court has assured us that the right to end a pregnancy is protected by the Constitution. As the dissent pointed out, it did that in a balancing test. But as the dissent also pointed out, it took women completely out of the balance today. They went back on that and this longstanding precedent. Roe versus Wade, it's clear in the briefs that were filed before the court, including by leading economists across the nations, changed the arc of women's lives for the better, reducing maternal mortality and increasing educational and job opportunities. This decision is a front to the rule of law. Its impact is going to reverberate beyond abortion, no matter what the majority tried to say about that, putting at risk constitutional protections for the use of contraception, intimate sexual relationships, and the right to marry, and other intensely personal decisions that people expect to be able to make for themselves under our constitution and in a free society. And with today's decision, about half the states in the United States are likely to completely ban or severely curtail access to abortion. The center has been tracking what if Roe fell since 2004. 13 states have already passed trigger laws that purport and are designed to spring into effect within days or weeks of a case being overturned, Roe being overturned in the Supreme Court. It's going to leave vast swaths of the South and the Midwest forcing without protection for abortion and forcing people to drive thousands of miles if they have the means to do so. Not all will have the means to do so, and it is not hyperbolic to say that they will be severely harmed. And we know that those who will be most harmed are those who have the biggest challenges to accessing healthcare to begin with. We know that half the people who seek abortions are living in poverty, and today's decision will fall hardest on them and others who already face economic and systemic barriers to healthcare, including communities of color, young people, LGBTQ plus communities, immigrants, and those in rural areas. And I want to underscore because the Center for Reproductive Rights works around the world, and we have seen change and liberalization of abortion laws in recent years in places where it was thought impossible. And this elimination of abortion rights by the Supreme Court in the U.S. Constitution makes the United States an outlier against this global trend. More than 60 countries have liberalized their abortion laws in the last 30 years since the court decided the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision. And the very few countries where we're seeing retrogression are those where democratic institutions have eroded. And it is shameful that the United States is joining that company. So we will be back in court tomorrow and the next day and the next day making sure that as much as possible, abortion access can be retained. The Supreme Court is but one of many government bodies that can protect the right to abortion. We will be looking to the Congress to pass the Women's Health Protection Act. Congress can solve this as a national problem. We'll be looking to the Biden administration to use the extent of its powers. And we'll be looking to the states, each, of course, which has its own constitution, many of which do protect the right to abortion and others, which there's current litigation going on around the right to abortion under state constitutions, as well as ballot initiatives where citizens can protect the right to abortion themselves by directly doing this in ballot initiatives. And we'll do everything we can to keep abortion access as safe and available as possible. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Julie Rickleman, who argued the case in the Supreme Court. She's our senior director of litigation for our U.S. program. Julie. Thank you, Nancy. As Nancy said, today's decision is a devastating loss and an un unprecedented reversal of a fundamental constitutional and human right. The Supreme Court has taken away people's ability to make basic decisions about their bodies, lives, and health, regardless of where they live in the United States. 
generations of people have relied on this right, and they'll now be thrown into a world without it. The impact of this ruling truly will be swift and severe. Some clinics have already stopped providing abortion services, and others are likely to do so in the coming days. As Nancy mentioned, people in some parts of the country will now have to travel hundreds, if not thousands of miles to access basic care that they need. And the reality is that many people just won't be able to do that. And it's critical to understand that that's going to impact every aspect of their lives and the lives of their families. It will impact their economic security, their ability to pursue an education, to stay in a job, to take care of other family members, and of course it will impact their health. And we are on the verge of what may be the biggest public health crisis that we have seen in decades. Because the reality is that abortion is an integral part of reproductive health care. It is often needed to preserve a person's health or life, and this ruling puts people's life and health at risk. Even when bans to abortion have exceptions for the life and health of the pregnant individual, they often don't work that way in reality. We've seen that in Texas just in recent weeks, where a pregnant woman in urgent, life-threatening circumstances was turned away from a hospital. This ruling is going to cause chaos in the courts and on the ground. We know already that some state officials and legislatures are considering laws to prevent people from traveling to access the care that they need in other states, and that other activists are discussing their goal of pursuing a nationwide ban on abortion. And I want to turn it over now to my longtime co-counsel and friend, Rob McDuff. Thank you, Julie. Um, the Mississippi Center for Justice and I have represented Mississippi's clinic since its inception. So Rob opens his statement by pointing out the irony that the Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade in Mississippi. Which is the poorest state in the union and has the highest black population percentage among the 50 states. The burden of poverty falls disproportionately on people of color, and it is going to be extremely difficult for poor people in Mississippi and elsewhere to come up with the time and with the money to take off from work, to arrange childcare for any children, to pay for travel and lodging for a trip to a distant state simply in order not to be forced to bear children against their will. So Mississippi is where the Supreme Court case originated. So what is the status in Mississippi right now? The Mississippi trigger law does not take effect for at least another 10 days. Um, So I believe the clinic is continuing to see patients for the moment. Obviously, we're going to have to have to talk with them further about whether there are any potential risks, despite the fact that the trigger law clearly doesn't take effect for 10 days. But for now, that's my understanding. And in terms of the 15-week ban, that is immediately in effect. Is that right? Yeah, we're certainly going to treat it that way, and the clinic's going to treat it that way. In Mississippi, there was already a pre-row law on the books that made it a misdemeanor to talk about or provide information about how to obtain an illegal abortion. That law specifically makes it a misdemeanor to provide information on how to obtain medications for an unlawful abortion. If someone is helping someone arrange an abortion out of state in a state that allows abortions, it is by definition not unlawful. You know, I think it's it's not a violation of the law to say that people are obtaining medications online. That's not specific information about where to provide it. But, you know, we are making our partners aware of the law. We hope that Officials aren't going to abuse it or misuse it to punish people in situations where they shouldn't, um, because this, you know, the, the information's out there. You can go on the internet and find out where to order abortion medications. So we're hoping no one's going to get get prosecuted for a misdemeanor for doing that. What about the other states with trigger laws? You're going to hear about trigger laws over and over and over again if you haven't already. But what are the specifics of that? They differ from state to state, but how do they work? So some trigger laws purport to take effect automatically and immediately without any action from a state official. 
Some require a state official like the attorney general to certify certain things like Roe has been overruled. And some indicate that the trigger law will not take effect until 10 days, 30 days after either that certification or some other action like the issuance of the judgment in this case. There are not just trigger bans on the books that residents of certain states are going to have to contend with. There are also pre-row bans. And like that's been mentioned in terms of Mississippi, but what does that mean exactly? And are those still relevant? I'll just start off by saying, you know, as with trigger bans, you have to look at pre-row bans on a state-by-state basis. Some of those have been repealed. Some have been replaced. You know, some of them are, it's not possible for them to come into effect, but it's really a state-by-state analysis. Um, And Hillary, do you want to just add some, again, some examples of what we see in different states? Yeah, I mean, again, it's just, this is part of the chaos that we have talked about happening after a decision like this. So we will have to look at what state officials are saying and then what we think the law actually is. And a lot of this will be played out in litigation, unfortunately. But as Julie mentioned, there are some states that have repealed their pre-row bans. There are some states where there are um, existing court orders blocking enforcement of that pre-row ban. And some are still on the books and, and have neither of those you know, protections against them. So it's really a state-by-state analysis. There was some concern on the call that the recent ruling in Mississippi would have a trickle-down effect and affect the trigger law in Oklahoma. And then <laughs> also just the question of like, does this make it unsafe for people who are pregnant and don't want to be? Are people going to be forced to explore unsafe alternatives? Well, it's absolutely going to put women at risk and pregnant people at risk. And as Julie was pointing out before, it's not just people seeking abortions. It's people who are having pregnancy complications or maybe miscarrying who are going to present at hospitals who are not going to give them miscarriage management uh, completion. Uh, And then also, as Hillary was just pointing out, the legal risks, people can access medication abortion uh, safely, but that doesn't mean they're not at legal risk when they do so. But in terms of the specific question about Oklahoma, we have a considerable amount of litigation going on in Oklahoma. And and Julie or Hillary, do you want to summarize what that is right now? I think the important thing to know is we have brought litigation in Oklahoma state court to preserve access to abortion under the Oklahoma Constitution. So relying on Oklahoma state law, not federal law, and that litigation is ongoing. However, critical for people to understand, and I'm sure many of you know this, that abortion access has not been available in Oklahoma for some time now, even while Roe remained the law because of uh, a different um, piece of legislation that was passed, a, a copycat law very similar to the Texas law one of the vigilante bans. So abortion access has already been unavailable, but we are litigating in the Oklahoma state courts, um, doing everything that we can with our clients and partners to preserve access to abortion in Oklahoma under state constitutional law. So this is a very legally fraught issue right now. And in some states like Texas, abortion providers are being targeted. Even if they are technically operating within the law. In Texas, there has been a doctor by the name of Dr. Alan Braid who has come forward that he is still performing early-term abortions. So let's just get the lay of the land on how this impacts providers like Dr. Braid himself and others. So Dr. Braid, is, you know, wrote in the Washington Post that he had performed an abortion and that brought three lawsuits from people out of state in Texas, which have now been consolidated in an action that we filed in Illinois. And I think the status is that it's pending. Is that right, Julie? That's right. But, but I just want to make sure that everybody understands Dr. Braid and others in Texas before today, they had been providing abortions up until six weeks. So I just want to clarify that the care that was being provided was the care that remained legal under SB8. And Dr. Braid's 
op-ed was just about a single abortion that he had provided after that time period, which as Nancy said, led to lawsuits and further litigation. So again, just to emphasize, you know, the chaos, there are now, you know, many, many lawsuits in a number of these states because of the different types of restrictions that are on the books, um, because of new restrictions that may be proposed. So all of this will be worked out in litigation, but just want to be clear that Dr. Brain had only been providing care that was permitted under SBA. So something that I keep seeing on social media and is a genuine concern, so I definitely want to address it, is that there's going to be a push in some states to criminalize traveling to another state for abortion access if you don't live there. And this is what the center had to say about that. I want to start off by saying that, of course, it is the center's view that the ability to travel and engage in conduct that is illegal in the place that you travel to is a fundamental constitutional right. And people should absolutely be able to do that. And that should be protected under current law. And we view it as protected under current law. However, it's also critical for people to understand that a number of state officials, states, state legislatures have already been discussing laws that would prevent people from traveling. In addition to the model bill that you've mentioned, there have actually been laws proposed in some places to restrict travel in some way. And so the reality is that we are going to see some of those laws enacted and they will be challenged, but the ultimate constitutionality of those laws will end up being decided through litigation by the courts. And so again, people just need to understand that there will be attempts to prevent people from traveling to get the care that they need. Here's Ann Marimau. She is a reporter for the Washington Post, and she asked a really good question about how we got here in the first place. First for Nancy, who's been working on these issues for many years, if she could just step back to how we got to this moment and talk about sort of the speed with which the court's new conservative justices nominated by President Trump changed the direction of the court on this issue, um, and also whether you think those nominees uh, lied during their Senate confirmation hearings. There's been, as I'm sure every reporter on this call knows, a multi-decade campaign to turn the federal judiciary in a sharp right-wing direction. That accelerated uh, with President Trump running a campaign promising to put justices on the court to overturn Roe versus Wade that was unprecedented to actually suggest that justices would be put on the court to actually take action against a particular decision. And you all know the events that involved both the Senate's refusal to hear President Obama's nominee and give him a hearing and a vote during the Obama administration and Judge Garland to the death of uh, Justice Ginsburg. And these were events that wound up with three of Trump's appointees on the Supreme Court. And in, in terms of the nominees' confirmation hearings, I mean, I wouldn't comment on that. Nominees in general describe the law in those confirmation hearings. We get less and less out of every single confirmation hearing. They're merely descriptions of, you know, what is happening in the law as opposed to the nominees answering questions about what their views are on the decisions. A reporter from Time brought up that the GOP is attacking companies for speaking out on social issues, yet there is a greater expectation from brands than ever before that they are going to put people before profit. So how are businesses going to be expected to respond? Well, I think the first uh, order of business is that companies are already making the clear decision that abortion care is health care because they are making it clear they already have by having it in their health plans and that they are going to cover travel for their employees who have to leave their states. So we saw Citigroup come out with that. We've seen other companies uh, also come out with those types of policies. So, I mean, every company is going to be looking at it, but the reality is they provide abortion care in their healthcare packages because it's healthcare. And I think if they're going to have equality for their uh, workforce, they're going to be needing to provide that travel out of state. And I think we're going to see companies also beginning to come forward with public statements. You know, the vast majority of the American public, and that means their workforce, that means their customers, support the right to abortion. And it is healthcare. And the landscape, whatever somebody was doing yesterday, you know, today is a new day. 
And so I think the landscape of what employers are going to hear from their employees who are in those states, uh, what they're going to hear from uh, other people that uh, support their brands are going to be that they expect them to stand up. I mean, this is just the most you know, horrific reversal of a right that we've seen in this country, the first taking away of a personal liberty. And it falls squarely, I mean, on any pregnant person, but falls squarely on uh, half the population that is female. So I think it's going to be a new day. I think they just began thinking about this issue when Texas put it front and center in terms of banning abortion after six weeks. So I would expect there to be a lot of change in development. So as it's been mentioned, there is a lot of chaos right now, a lot of just initial responding and trying to figure out the lay of the land. But what are the next steps for the center? So we're going to continue to push, as I said, on every single legal front. We're going to continue to push at the federal level for both the passage of the Women's Health Protection Act by the Congress and for the Biden administration to use its powers. And we'll be pushing at the state level to establish state constitutional protections, whether that is via ballot initiatives or legislation or state judiciaries. And we're going to we are going to be going after these trigger laws. I'll turn it over to Julie to talk specifically about some of the litigation we expect to be filing in short order. Thanks, Nancy. Yes, we are obviously talking very closely, have been for some time and continuing to talk with our clients and partners and allies to do whatever we can, as I said, to protect access for as long as possible everywhere throughout the country. But I just want to emphasize that you know this, this is a cataclysmic change, a devastating loss and everybody is making the best decisions that they can on an ongoing basis with the information that they have. So we do expect that there will be challenges filed to trigger bans in a number of states, but everything is being analyzed and all of the options are being considered on an ongoing basis. And if you think this is just about abortion and it doesn't affect you for whatever reason, you're probably wrong. As the dissent points out, the reasoning that the opinion relies on would apply um, to the same extent to a whole host of other rights, including, of course, the right to contraception, the right to sexual intimacy with an an adult, um, the right to same-sex marriage. So the reasoning in the opinion, which says that unless there were affirmative protections for a right in a majority of states at the time of the 14th Amendment, that reasoning would undermine a host of other rights. And I think I would just refer you to the quote in the dissent where the three justices who joined it have said that, you know, the the majority's opinion is either hypocrisy or additional constitutional rights are under threat. It is one or the other. So that is a quote from the dissent. And if you're a frustrated pro-choice lawyer who is reading the news just infuriated and wanting to help, this is your time to shine, baby. We need you. We do uh, litigate with the private bar and have been really heartened by how much support there is in the private sector by leading law firms uh, across the nation, as well as by our partners like Rob McDuff, who have been fighting so valiantly in the States. So, and in this case, both O'Melveny and Myers and Paul Weiss uh, are co-counsel in this case and provided countless hours of service to the case. We expect there to be many. I mean, in if you look at the amicus briefs in this case, you will find that many were authored by major uh, law firms, major national law firms. And the New York Attorney General has just announced a task force uh, on pro bono firms that have come forward ready to help. You saw San Francisco Bar just uh, launched an effort there. I think you're going to see an incredible outpouring across the nation. We work with over 750 lawyers a year around the world, many of them in the United States. So I would expect this is going to be an uh, incredible moment for uh, lawyers who believe in the rule of law, who are committed to equality, to be coming forward to be fighting with us. But you don't even need to be an attorney to help. You just need to be a voter. Here's Joe Biden again. Let me be very clear and unambiguous. The only way we can secure a woman's right to choose the balance that existed 
is for Congress to restore the protections of Roe v. Wade as federal law. No executive action from the president can do that. And if Congress, as it appears, lacks the votes to do that now, voters need to make their voices heard. This fall, we must elect more senators and representatives who will codify women's right to choose into federal law once again. Elect more state leaders to protect this right at the local level. We need to restore the protections of Roe as law of the land. We need to elect officials who will do that. This fall, Roe is on the ballot. Personal freedoms are on the ballot. The right to privacy, liberty, equality, they're all on the ballot. He's right, that is true. Reproductive rights are on the ballot and bodily autonomy is on the ballot, even in places that seem quote unquote safe right now. And those places are obviously diminishing by the day. So I hope you got a lot of good insight, perspective, and motivation from this episode. I want to give a big thank you to the Center for Reproductive Rights and all of the people who dedicate their careers to ensuring this right. Thank you for everything that you do. We are indebted to you. Make sure you give the Center for Reproductive Rights a follow on social media at Repro Rights to stay up on the latest news. And of course, make sure to follow the show at Private Parts Unknown on Instagram and at Private Parts Un on Twitter. I am at Courtney Kosak, K-O-C-A-K on both Twitter and Instagram. And make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. It's just privatepartsunknown.substack.com. But you don't have to remember that. The link is in the episode description. So just head down there and subscribe. And I'm also going to put a playlist of our other abortion episodes down there if you want to just to make it easy to share and check those out. Shout out to Amy Roche for the bomb ass theme music. For more info about Amy and her music, check out amyroche.com. That's Amy R A A S C H.com. This episode was mixed by Mike Castaneda of Plastic Audio. We love you, Mike. And hey, since you made it this far, can I ask you for a quick favor? If you could just go over to ratethispodcast.com slash private, give us a five-star rating and review. Oh, it feels so good to see those. And it also helps other people find the show. Again, that's ratethispodcast.com slash private. Or if you're listening on Spotify, you can just go to the upper left-hand corner of our page, click on that little star button, and then click all five stars. Voila, you're done. Thank you so much, privates. And remember, we need as many people as possible to be speaking up and advocating for abortion during this time. I know it's not safe and possible for everyone, but even if you can change just one mind, that helps. So I will be back next week with another episode about the necessity of abortion as healthcare, this (laughs) pervasive misconception that moms don't get abortions, which is totally false, and tips for how to talk to your kids about abortion. Um, It's truly ironic that we're about to celebrate Independence Day in America, but I hope you have a wonderful holiday despite this insanity. Stay safe out there, and I'll check you next time. Bye. Bye.